This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I want to start something new today, and I want to start talking about something new. Um, And I've titled it, Born for Such a Time as This. Born for Such a Time as This. Um, I just think it's important for us to have a look at where we are, and I'm talking about the church in America, where we are and where we find ourselves and what the church looks like and what the environment looks like and get an understanding as to what is really happening and get God's perspective on it. It becomes really important because there are a lot of opinions out there and a lot of ideas out there and some of them are not all that sound. I'm going to start it off today and I'm going to put some ideas out there and present some thinking to you. And then what we'll do is we'll carry it on, I don't know, the next two, three weeks. We'll just see how long it takes. Um, but um, Joe, I've got, I've got some bad feedback here. Um, so let's just kick off and let's just get going with things and we'll just see where we end up. Okay. Is everybody awake this morning? Yeah. I've got some good news for you today. Not bad news. It's good news. Everybody likes good news, right? People work hard. People work hard. And the the reason many people work hard is because at the end of their life, it presents them with the opportunity to leave behind something called an inheritance. An inheritance is a way where I can take my life's work, my life's investment, everything that I did to achieve that point, and I'm able to take that and I'm able to put it into your life and sit and say, I'm going to take something which is an investment. I'm going to take something which is a blessing. I'm going to take something which is designed to enable you to take this to the next level, and I hand it on to somebody else. An inheritance is a wonderful thing. The thing with an inheritance is this. It's a two-sided coin. You see, if you really want an inheritance, somehow an inheritance just really doesn't come about. It happens, and it takes time, and it takes effort, and it takes sacrifice, and it takes hard work, and it takes commitment, and it takes dedication, and it takes sometimes what's required to make a meaningful inheritance and to put it together is a cost that people often don't understand. And so it comes at a price. But the other side to that coin is this. Very often people who are the recipients of an inheritance receive something at no cost. And there's always an inherent danger in that. I value this because it cost me. I know what it took. I know the cost that went into setting this up. I know the cost that it took to get to this place. And because of that, there is a recognition, there is an appreciation, and there is a value associated with it. The challenge with an inheritance all too often is that people squander it because there is no value of what's been inherited. Value is an important premise when it comes to inheriting. So we're celebrating Memorial Day today, tomorrow, but we're talking about it today. Memorial Day is not about celebrating veterans or the military. Memorial Day is about celebrating those people who recognized the value of an inheritance. And because of the value of an inheritance, 
They were prepared to pay the ultimate sacrifice. Because I want my family, I want my children, I want the generations to come to inherit something that I believe in. And I don't want them just to grab a hold of it. I want them to understand the value associated with it. Because if I grab an inheritance and I don't value it, I'll squander it. So we find ourselves in an interesting situation in the country right now. Because you see, a price was paid for us to inherit the lifestyle that we live. A price was paid to establish the society that we live in. A price was paid to put the framework together for the culture that we enjoy and the benefits that we enjoy in this nation. It came at a great cost to many people. And the problem and the thing that scares me is that many of the people who are inheriting a wonderful opportunity don't recognize the value. I don't appreciate it. And when I don't appreciate it, I'm very flippant with it. And I want to do some stuff with it and play with it and move it around and throw some stuff out. Things that were important contributors to making it what it is today. And so we find ourselves in an interesting climate because we have a society that's shifting and changing. And there's probably been no greater time where there has been as dramatic a shift in American history for probably the last hundred years than in the last five Something's happening. Society is moving. Society is not the way that it used to be. People talk about their youth and what it used to be. And they talk about the good old days. And they find themselves disconnected because I can't relate to where we are right now. I don't understand what's going on in this climate and in this environment. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it taking us somewhere healthy? These are important questions for us to, have to, to ask. And it becomes important for us because we have an inheritance that we are going to do something with. And ultimately, we are going to leave behind. What are we leaving behind for my children, my grandchildren, and the next generation? Stuff is happening, not only in the world, but in the church. There is a shift and there is a move. There is a sifting and there is a sorting. It's important for us, and what I want to do in the next few weeks, is to begin to have a look at and explore and have a very real discussion about what is happening and some of the choices that are being made, whether they're good or whether they're bad. Are we building on our inheritance or are we compromising it? I want to have a look at the church. What's happening to the church in America? There's some changes that are happening. And some things we least expected. The church in America lived in a state of apathy for a long time. We were so comfortable. And you know what the problem is with people and Christians who are comfortable? I like to live on the fringe. A bit of a foot in the world and a bit of a foot in the church and I kind of kind of straddle both. And I do, and I mean I believe in God and God is important, but my lifestyle is out there and I can live my life. But then I'll come back to church on a Sunday. And God looks at it and he goes, You know what? 
I think you remind me a lot of something called lukewarm Christians. And when it comes to lukewarm Christians, he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Because if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I think he spent a little bit of time in the bathroom. It's not because he's got a problem with any person. It's because he understands that there are some major shifts and changes happening spiritually. And you're not attuned to it because you want to dabble in the world and you want to dabble in the church. And you don't understand what's going on because you live by your natural dimension as opposed to understand the spiritual complexities that are at play. And unless we move to that place where we get serious with God, this is a personal belief. He's not going to use you. It's got nothing to do with the fact that he doesn't want you or that he doesn't love you. It's because I've made a choice. I'm not that committed. We can't play around anymore. We can't do lovely little stroke you sermons anymore. It's too late for that. Wake up and look at the world. You have a role to play in this. Esther found herself in a very interesting place where life was tough and things were hard and things were precarious. And I don't want to get into the story of Esther, but in Esther chapter 4, verse 14, at the second part of the sentence, uh, of the verse, this is what it says. Yet, who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? The modern paraphrased version is this. Were you born for a time like this? Were you born for a time like this? There are no mistakes in God's economy. It doesn't exist. Everything is intentional. Everything is purposeful. Everything is considered. He knew the beginning, uh, the end before the beginning. You are not an accident, and you weren't born at this time by accident. You were born in the time that he intended for you to be born. You were born in the place where he intended for you to be born. You were born with the people he intended for you to be born into. Because you have a purpose in that space. People are looking. What is the reason for it? Why? Because we want to make a difference. People want to make a difference. God is going to position you for difference. He's going to put you in places where you can make a difference. He's going to enable you to make a difference. He's going to put some people in positions of power to make a difference. He's going to get certain people elected to make a difference. He's going to bless some people from a financial point of view and in business so that you can make a difference. He's doing some stuff so you can make a difference. And you may be sitting around saying, I don't have any of those great things. In fact, I don't even have those aspirations. What I would say to you is this. You can make a difference. You can make a difference. Open your mouth. Open your mouth. You don't have to be ugly. But we have a mouth. What's amazing to me is when you listen to all the voices, we have a small number of voices making a very big noise. And quite honestly, a lot of that noise is quite ugly. 
But we don't want to participate in that, and we don't want to get fleshly, and we don't want to get ugly. But at the same time, we don't want to get so reticent that we shut our mouths. I think that there is a time when the Spirit prompts you to present another side. I'm so tired of being in spaces where people feel it comfortable with their ideology and their theology about how things should be, and you listen to it and you go, that is scripturally whacked. But I don't want to rock the boat, so I won't say anything. I think the time is coming to say something. Don't get ugly. Nobody's looking to go out with placards and start getting ridiculous, but there is a place to sit and say, you know what? I don't share that belief. There is an alternative, and there is a different way of viewing that. And actually, I believe it might be a whole lot healthier. There is an opportunity. There comes a time where the grassroots has to get a voice, has to get a mouthpiece, has to be able to say some stuff. Let the Spirit of God position you in places so that you have the opportunity to open your mouth. I'm a big believer in prayer, and I want to speak about this in a minute. You need to pray because I can tell you right now, the battle that we're in is a spiritual battle. Having said that, there comes a time where faith gets moved to action. I'm so tired of Christians who don't vote. Oh, well, I just don't like the status quo and I hate what's happening in the schools and this is so terrible and did you see this on the news and the the media, this and the blah, 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 and I see what's happening in government and did you vote? No. Why? Well, I just believe that Christians, you know, should stay out of government. Don't lose your responsibility. There comes a time for action. Not the way that I feel. Not what I think, but I find out what is truth. Don't listen to the person you're voting for to tell you what they believe and what is truth. Because they're going to lie. You spell politician L-I-E. Okay, it's just a joke. But they're going to tell you what they, you need to hear, whether it's twisted, manipulated, inverted, turned upside down, whatever they need to do, because I want your vote. Don't listen to them to find out who to vote for. You go to the Word of God and you go to the Holy Spirit and you sit and say, give me clarity, give me direction. Open the eyes of my understanding and when I walk into that voting booth, I'm voting for truth. There comes a time in life, let your past go. I'm so tired, I'm only going to speak about Democrats and Republicans because those are the two primary parties. I don't care what you were brought up with. There comes a time in your Christianity where first and foremost, you're a born-again believer. Before you are an American, you're a born-again believer. Before you are a man or a woman, before you're a person of color, before you're a person of nationality, before you're a Virginian, before you're a Democrat, before you're a Republican, you're a born-again believer. The precedence and the preeminence becomes, what does the Spirit want me to do in this place? Oh, well, I always voted for this. Oh, well, I believe that because I was raised that way. A lot of what you believe might be the biggest load of rubbish. I can tell you firsthand because I've met with people and I've heard what they've said about one party or the next. And it's like, I know for a fact that's not true because you can go and have a look at it. Where did you hear this? They told me on the news. (laughs) The most discredited place and source of information in this country. 
Anyway, and this is just the preamble. We haven't even gone into anything. So you were born for such a time as this. You were born for such a time as this. There is a reason that you are here. There is a reason that you're in Virginia. There is a reason that you find yourself in the environment in which you, because you are here with a reason, with a purpose, and he's going to use you in that space. Don't for a moment move to a place where we become fleshly in the way that we handle stuff. It's appropriate for us to have a look at things in a respectful way and to honestly dissect it. Does it have merit? If it does, let's take it, spend some time with the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't, throw it out. I have a responsibility to my kids. One of my responsibilities to my kids is this. If you come home with a jackass and you're going to marry them, I have the responsibility (laughs) as your parents to tell you. Sorry to have to tell you. That's who you're marrying. I don't mean to hurt your feelings. It's nothing personal. It's not be anything else. And I love you too much to let you commit your life to something that years down the road, you're going to turn back and say, why didn't you tell me? No ambition, no job, no drive, lazy as can be, not interested, selfish, self-absorbed, doesn't pay any attention to her. And I'm like, okay, that's a good option. (laughs) I'm going somewhere with this. There comes a time where you have to be spirit-led. There is a place to speak truth in love. You neglect your responsibility when you just sit and say, well, you know what? Because I love you, whatever you like. You wouldn't do that to your child. We don't have the right to do it to somebody else. Jesus loved people too much to sit and say, whatever you want to do. And there were times that he presented truth to people. And you know what? It went against the grain of how they felt and what they believed. And some of them walked away saddened. I'm not here to make the decision for you. That is your prerogative, and God has given every person the opportunity to make the decision for how you want to live your life, and that's right, and I will honor that. But as far as presenting something to you, yes, I am going to take truth, and I'll present it to you as I believe the Holy Spirit has revealed it and what I believe the Word of God says. If you want to take that and explore it for yourself, more power to you. That's a good thing, but ultimately, the decision will be yours. I'm not here to criticize. I want to make sure that there is always empathy in what is said because there are many people who have never had the advantage and the benefit of being raised with having the Holy Spirit present some options and ideas to them. And there are people who are hungry and looking for truth. And they may be looking in the wrong places, but they're on a journey. And I need everybody to know, you know what? Wherever you might be on your journey, God loves you. God loves you. It's hard sometimes talking about subjects that are emotionally charged. Because people have a tendency to be defensive. And people don't always listen. I'm so busy defending my platform that I'm not open to some other idea. I'm going to talk about that probably next week. 
The point of it is this. I, as, as born again believers, I believe that we have a responsibility to love people and love means to present truth to them. There is a thinking in the world right at the moment that love is all about embracing whatever a person wants to do. The Oxford definition of that is indulgence. What it means is you can do whatever you like and it's fine. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says, I love you too much to leave you where you are, so I'm going to introduce you to truth. You can do with it what you want, but I'm going to present truth to you. Um, let's read Ephesians. Let's go there quickly. Ephesians chapter 6 and verses 11 and 12, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or deceptions of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. There are a couple of things that are important for us. I want to set a platform today because I, I think it's important for us to have a biblical view of what God's perspective is on stuff. And once we have that, then we can start to have a look at some other stuff. There are a couple of things that are important about this. Number one is you wrestle not against flesh and blood. The problem is not the politician. The problem is not your neighbor. The problem is not your school teacher. The problem with it is that there is something spiritual in operation. It's a big reason why God is sitting saying, you know what? I'm not going to work with everybody. I'm not interested in working with people who are wishy-washy and in and out because the problem with it is you're not a spiritual changer. I need people who are spiritual and people who are spiritually dynamic to be able to sense what's going on in that space and be able from a spiritual point of view to be able to speak to that and expect and live in the expectation of change from a spiritual point of view. And if I'm not spiritually astute to what's going on, I'll miss it. I hate them and they hate me and we both give each other dirty looks and it achieves nothing. You wrestle not against flesh and blood. There is some stuff that is at play amongst people. It says Satan goes around as a lion seeking whom he may devour. Do you know what he's saying? It's sitting saying Satan works through people. You've never seen Satan skulking around your sidewalk. What is he looking for? It goes back to the original day of Adam and Eve when he met them in the garden. What did he do? He presented them with an idea. I'll get into that in a minute. The point is this. Satan is looking to take who he is and his nature and to seed people's lives with it. And when I seed your life with it, what ends up happening is you become a mouthpiece for what's established on the inside of you. How does he do that? He hasn't changed the, his modus operandi. The way that he works is through something called deception. Deception. When you buy deception, you open yourself up to the nature of Satan coming in. And the nature is going to produce fruit in you which steal, kills, and destroys from you. That's the nature of what it is. It goes back to when Satan met with Eve in the garden. And what did he do? He said to her, Eve, you don't really understand. God's been holding out on you. What is he doing? He was getting her to a place where she started engaging her emotions. 
and there was a jealousy and there was an envy about God did this and he's over there and he's that. And if I eat from the fruit, reason kicking in, I will be like him. The safest place that you can ever be is a born again believer. The safest place that you can, the reason I say that is because some people don't have a relationship with God. But the safest place you can ever be is in relationship with God. If you hold on to that space, the reason that it's so safe is because your source of truth is him. And when you hold on to that and you live from that, you will be in a good place. Satan can't get you when you're there. So the thing about it is what he needs to do is he needs to get you away from the word. Because when he gets you away from the word, we default to how I feel and what I think. And the minute he gets you to the place where I'm thinking and I'm feeling, I'm living from my flesh. And you know what ends up happening? I open up the door of my life. I can't get you when you're in the secret place, but I can get you when you open the door. I can get you when you sit and say, I'm no longer eating from the source. Now my emotions and my thoughts are to be fed. And it's not coming from the source of God, so it's open to the world. And the minute that happens, what ends up happening is he uses the opportunity. I feel this. And because I feel this, maybe it means that. I've just taken the bait. I just swallowed it. And what ended up happening is I have a belief getting established on the inside of me. And when I begin to vegetate and spend time on that belief, it begins to inform my reason. And my reason substantiates my emotion. It's self-validation. What ends up happening is I move to a place where the fruit of that ultimately presents itself. And I can't believe the bad place that I end up. Adam and Eve stole their authority. They experienced death, both physically and in everything that they put their hand to. And it destroyed the dream of heaven on earth. Any time we move to a place where I'm motivated by how I feel and what I think to the exclusion of truth, I'm in a vulnerable place for deception. And the problem with deception is this. We don't realize that we're deceived. That's the whole point of deception. That's the difference between deception and a lie. A lie is I did it and I know it. And I often feel a sense of guilt or remorse about it because I know I shouldn't have. But the problem is, when I'm deceived, I think I'm rooted in truth. And everybody else is wrong. De deception is inherently dangerous. So the safest place for us to be is when we're in the word of God. That's the safest place to be. The thing is this. We've been speaking over the last few weeks about the value and the significance of the spoken word of God and how that comes out of relationship with God. And ultimately, that's where we are to live and to position ourselves. The thing is, there is still an inherent value within the logos, the written word of God. Because the thing is, we don't even recognize it and we don't even value it because very often it just slips by us. It's become so much a part of our culture. It's so much a part of our society that we don't even realize that 
America is grounded and founded on the Logos. I'll prove it to you. When Moses came down from the mountain, he came down with two tablets, the written word. The Ten Commandments. Do you know that the Ten Commandments have formed the basis of all functioning governments? All functioning governments. There is a God that we are to honor. Choose any functioning government and you will find somewhere in that they may not believe in Jesus Christ, but there is something on the inside of them that says there is a higher being. I know that he exists within my humanity and within myself. I know that there is something about a higher God. There is something. And they may worship all kinds of different things, different kinds of gods and different kinds of idols. The point is there is some semblance of recognition of a higher being. Honor your mother and your father. The significance of family. That there are roles and responsibilities for mother and father. And that they are to create a space called family. And in the context of family, there is a responsibility and a role for mother and father to raise up and to affirm the identity and to see the potential of their offspring. It's called family. Thou shalt not kill the value for life. The value for life. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not bear false witness. In other words, don't lie. What is the other one? It was another one I wanted to touch on. Oh, thou shalt not covet. Do you know what covet is? Covet is with what you have, you're dissatisfied and you want what somebody else has got. You can speak to people in America and you can take the word and you can take God, and you can take Bible out of the context. But you will find that within people who, have raised, who were raised in this culture, there is a value and there is appreciation for the foundation, what we call the social fabric of America. This is what it's founded on. This is what they speak about. This is what establishes who we are. The good thing about it is the Logos works in a very powerful way because the Logos gives us guideposts. It gives us, what are those things on the side of the road? Steve, where are you? What are those things on the side of the road? Guardrails. They give us guardrails for our life. That's the good thing about the Logos. It gives us guardrails. It starts to establish things like God and family and roles and responsibility and the value of life and the value of do not covet. And the it's establishing all of that stuff and it's written into the fabric of who we are. We grow up in that space. We feel comfortable in that space and we explore my own personality within the confines of that space. There is a safety and a security that comes from knowing that that exists. When we discover who we are in that context, in our individuality and in who we are, what ends up happening is we end up with people who have a common bond 
People who have a common identity, people who have a common sense of function, and it creates what we often refer to as a functional society. There is no such a thing as a society without people. It doesn't exist. Society is a sum of the people. If you want to change society, change the people. So it's inherently within our culture. It's inherently within our society. It's the place that we were. It's the place that we all knew. But things are changing. Over the last 20 odd years, there has been creeping into the space something new. And it's taken a foothold and it's gained traction over the last few years in particular. And it's an idea called progressivism. There is a world view in the word progressive. Progressive nowadays, when you talk about progressive, it speaks about, when people speak about being progressive and associate themselves with being progressive, it puts them in different places. When individuals speak about being progressive, it almost comes across with an air of arrogance, superiority. I'm enlightened. I'm not part of what used to be. I'm not part of yesterday. I'm part of the progressive movement. We have politicians, and one political party in particular, that has established themselves as being the progressive party. It's appealing to those people with progressive viewpoints, those people who are enlightened in society, those people who are on a migrate society to a different place. We have businesses who want to support the whole idea of progressive. We want to be viewed as being nouveau and being on the cutting edge. And so we want to be in the forefront of what's happening. And because of that, we want to position ourselves as being progressive. We have social movements and charities popping up because we're supporting progressive causes. Progressivism has a whole world view attached to it. It's based on the idea that history is moving to a particular place. It's based on the idea that the world you used to know and the America that you used to know is part of the past. It's part of what used to be. It's passé. And part of the reason that we don't have fulfillment and part of the reason that we're not self-actualized and part of the reason that we don't have um, equality and, and we don't share in, in the, the harmony of a modern world is because it's old-fashioned and outdated. But the world is moving in a new space. And as it begins to move into a new space, something else is going to define that new space. You see, the thing about it is, progressivism doesn't come free of values. The progressive movement comes with very definite values. And what it means is, the, this is the value. You are either going to be on the right or the wrong side of history. 
Those who are enlightened are the right ones, as opposed to those who are traditional and conservative who are not. And so what we notice in the country is a polarization taking place. And we have progressives who are enlightened. Progressives who want to move America into a new area. Progressives who want to take the status quo and leave it behind because we wanted to find something new. Progressives who find themselves rooted in love because we're prepared to embrace everything. At the polar opposite of these people. Traditionalists, conservatives, people stuck in the past. People, because they stand on values, are people of hate. And we end up with this dichotomy taking place. The mechanism for progressives to achieve their ends is the removal of God from the equation. You see, you can't move forward if you have God in the equation. Because you see, God has something established. God says there's right and there's wrong. Well, if God says there's right and there's wrong, who's God to define that stuff? And so the thing about it is, if we can remove God from the equation, if we can take God's influence out of that space, it puts us into a place where we can start to move forward and define a new future without God. And so what ends up happening is, I'm not sure that there is a God. And if you have a look at the statistics, over the last 10 years, the number of people in America who classify themselves as being atheist or agnostic has grown to like 20% or something. Where did that come from? It's part of the progressives. It's part of the progressive movement. We don't need God. We don't need a higher being. It's a removal of prayer from schools. It's exploiting the separation of church and state. Because we don't want God in these spaces. Honor your father and your mother. We've just got to throw it out. We've got to throw it out. Because it's defined. And who's to say that family should be about mother and father? It could just be about people. And we can define it any way that we would like. And so if we do that, if we throw it out, it's open to interpretation. And so what you can do is you can end up creating a family unit composed of whatever you would like. We even have emojis with pregnant husbands. Why? Because we're progressive. We don't need to be stuck with God defining certain spaces in our life. We can raise children, and in raising the children, we can ask them what they would like to be. How would they like to define themselves? Why? Because there's no such a thing anymore as gender. The whole concept of gender is so fluid, and it's like, what do you feel like? I've got to take God out of the equation. Thou shall not kill. Sarah made such a good point. 
Just please hear me. Okay, just take a deep breath. The school shooting was a terrible thing that happened. But it's amazing how so many progressive people are up in arms about the killing of children at a school, but they have no problem with late-term abortion. We end up in a dangerous situation because if we take God out of the equation when it comes to defining what life is and how we should handle life and do not kill, well, what would you like it to be? I'm going to play you a video. There's a little bit of progressive language in it. So I've asked Jackie to edit it down a little bit. It's really small, but it's more important for me that you hear the progressive views. Most women make their decisions at eight weeks, but if, but I'm also in support of 10 months out of the womb. So you think babies should be aborted 10 months after they're born? If, if the mother wants to, yes. So if like you want to get a late-term abortion, like that's up to you. Basically, like if they have their baby, they can neglect them for seven days, and if the baby dies, then they can't be held criminally liable. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think, like, I, I agree. I think whatever, like, helps women and helps them achieve their, like, dreams and however that needs to, like, happen is definitely acts to help that is helping all of us. In all honesty, I hate children. Right, but would you say F them kids about newborns? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So, if I, so if I had a newborn right here and I wanted to kill them, you'd be okay with that? Yeah. I, I support the sanctioned murder. <laughs> Okay, well, that's a very depraved and evil thing to say. So I prefer... So what happens is, when we start moving from a place of redefining society and we start taking out God from the equation, it's left up to the individual. And so we're introduced to an alternate theology. And the alternate theology is this. God, who was instrumental in bringing the nation to where we are today, is really not needed to create the world we want for tomorrow. We can step beyond God because we're progressive. It's the idea that we can create and we can inhabit a utopia. We have the prerogative and we have the license. We have the authority and we have the ability to begin to define the kingdom of heaven on earth just without the king. It's an invitation to defining the world that we would like it to be. And what's so nice about it is this. We promise you that you can bear the fruits of kingdom life without the self Sacrifice that goes with the Christian story. You don't have to worry about that. It's okay. You don't have to die to self to realize the fullness of your dream. Well, it's an interesting place to be. And what we have to think about is this. Let's look at that. And let's just begin to dissect it a little bit. You know, the advantage 
to a society that's been established on social norms, that's been established on the logos, is that it's been pretty functional and pretty successful and pretty robust and pretty healthy and pretty prosperous. So if we want to take it forward, is it a good idea to be able to throw the inheritance out so we can do something new? You see, if we take God out of the equation and his invitation to truth, all that it leaves is me. Me. Me to define who I am and me to define the course of my life. So if God's out of the equation, the only thing that I'm really left with as tools to establish who I am is how I feel and what I think. Satan's dream comes true. You know why? Because I can disconnect you from the word and I can move you into a future that sounds so utopian, sounds so heaven on earth, where you can define what heaven looks like. Which means you are going to be relying on the tools that you have to do that. How I feel and what I think. He's like, you've just opened the door wide for deception. And in he comes with everything. If we're moving to a place where we're allowing the individuals to define who they are and what is normal and what is acceptable in society, the question I have is what builds cohesion? What unifies us? I'm going to speak about this probably a little bit more next week. But one of the key ideas behind the whole progressive movement is the concept of deconstruction. Deconstruct everything. Do you know what it's saying? Where we've been is not where we want to be. And so the thing about it is, let's deconstruct it. It's all wrong. It's inherently wrong. Get rid of it. One of the biggest problems with deconstruction theology is this. There's no alternative. It doesn't present an alternative. It presents nothing new to build on. It says, get rid of everything that used to be. No alternative. Blank. What do you build society on? We get rid of it, but there's nothing to build on. What makes our society functional? It's hard to do. Because all of a sudden, everybody's left to their own devices, their own choices. And you can't tell me that I'm wrong because you're a person of hate. So we're starting to create a very complex arrangement. Because once we start moving to that space, and perhaps we embrace it in terms of gender, but where do you draw the limits? Well, maybe I want to start claiming social security, so I feel like I'm 65. <laughs> but you can't tell me that I'm not, because then you're going against my feelings. Who says you have the right to do that? So I want to have sex with minors. That excites me. Well, that's not right. Who says? Who says? You can't decide that. You're telling me my feelings are wrong. 
it opens up a situation that becomes very complicated and a situation that ultimately brings along theft, kills, and destroys. Let's look at um, Judges chapter 1, verses 14 and 15 quickly. The temptation to be what you want to be and to do what you want to do. The temptation to embrace the indulgence of what I would like is not simply something that does not have a spiritual component to it. Everything in life is coming from one of two kingdoms. It's coming from one of two kingdoms. And you're going to bear the fruit of those kingdoms. Donna? But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, I've got a belief. I start to live from that belief. It gives birth to sin. I'm living a different way of life. I'm living according to how I feel and what I think. And with sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God said it, not me. The point is this. We have complexities coming in so many ways. Ultimately, society is it's going to crash and burn. It's not sustainable, according to the word of God. At 53 years old, I'm still young, but I'm old enough to know that when I was in my 20s, I had some thoughts and I had some feelings and I had some ideas and I had some desires and I thank the good Lord that none of them came to pass. Because in retrospect, I could tell you how dumb it was. The point I'm making is this. If you're saying to me that I have the responsibility to define who I am and what my life should look like, I'm a dangerous source. Because the things I used to believe and the things I used to think, I don't think any of that stuff anymore. All of that stuff has changed. I've progressed. I've moved along. And I wouldn't want my life based on any of that stuff. And my concern is by introducing people to some decisions that are life-changing permanently, you will end up in situations where in 10 years' time, let alone 30 years' time, you're going to sit there saying, what did I do? And you can't change it. I'm not safe as a source to build my life on. It would be so much easier if I had a manual. Men don't always like manuals, but they're helpful. Colton got a, and Carter got a basketball hoop yesterday. You don't buy things anymore. You buy a collection of parts. And if you put the collection of parts together, you end up with a thing. To put the collection of parts together, you have a manual. A manual tells you how you're doing it, and it leads you and guides you along the path so that you end up with the end result. God created you. He has given us a manual. Not only that, he understands men. And so he says, whether you want to read it or not, it's up to you. But you'll come back to it at some point. I promise you. 
Because you'll get along the way and realize things don't work out the way that I thought. Maybe there is an alternative. Maybe there is a manual. If you're going somewhere in life, get directions. Use Google Maps. Use Waze. Take your pick. I don't care. The fact of the matter is, if you're going to a destination, you don't wake up in the morning and say, how do I feel I should get there? <laughs> See how it works out for you. We laugh about it because it's a silly example. But you're dealing with something so much more significant than the directions of finding a location. You're talking about the course of your life. I wouldn't do that if I was trying to get to a destination. But when it comes to my life, hey, I'll decide. I wouldn't trust myself to decide. We're in an interesting place. And so being able to understand what's happening in that space and being able to give definition to it, being able to understand how I navigate that empowers me, empowers my wife, empowers my family, empowers my church to move into that space. There is a very, very significant spiritual component to things. Anytime we engage it in the flesh without the spirit, you're in trouble. It's the spirit behind it that's having that influence. Heather, I think you should pray today because you're a woman of power, Heather. We thank you that you led men and women at the very beginning to engrave your name and your principles into every founding document, into every governmental building that's in our nation. You're written all over it. We thank you that because of that, this nation has stood the course of time. Although things haven't always been perfect, your framework, your spiritual framework has always been there. And so we just glorify you and thank you, Father, for the principles that were found in, for your foundation of truth in this nation that has literally upheld us for over 200 years. We thank you for your plans and your purposes for this nation to be a beacon of light and a beacon of hope and a beacon of salvation. And it was meant to be a melting pot of every nationality on this earth to coincide together as a representation of your kingdom and who you are. So we thank you, Father that we are called the United States of America. It's very prophetic. It's very prophetic. And in times like this, we need to call ourselves the United States of America more than ever. It's, it's very prophetic. And we thank you and we praise you, Father, for, the, for our place in history. We are built for such a time as this. Such a time as this. And what an honor it is to be called by you for such a time as this. One of the most important times in the history of our nation, and you've called each one of us here right now. So we thank you for what you're doing in the church in America, that you are bringing an awakening, a spiritual awakening, that the church is no longer apathetic 
and divided, but we thank you for just an awakening that's coming and and an ability to just have a no-nonsense point of view and say, we've got to stand up. We've got to speak out. We've got to take our place because you've put us here for such a time as this so that people will know you and know your truth and to bring you to to a generation that desperately needs you and not just this generation, but the ones to come. So we thank you, Father, for what you're doing. We thank you for an awakened church and we thank you for an energized church who doesn't work through flesh, but works by the Spirit. Works by the Spirit to hear your voice in every step we take and everywhere we go and who acts by your spirit because that is what's going to bring about change. And we glorify you and thank you for it, Father. And I pray the words that have been spoken today and what has rung true in people's hearts, Holy Spirit, don't let them just be, do nothing inside people. I thank you that every person here, wherever you touch them, every place they walk this week, you're going to just keep revitalizing those words on the inside. And so that we become a church at Living Faith who cannot stand aside and not do anything any longer. Individually, we are taking a stand. And so we thank you and we praise you that this area is changed in the name of Jesus, that our nation is changed in the name of Jesus. And we thank you, Father, for what you are doing through each one of us and through the church in America, that there is a shift that is happening and a shift that is occurring in the positive, a shift that's happening that the church is taking its place in love and in truth and in who you've called us to be for this nation for generations to come. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.